Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Hey, Ronnie, so excited to have you to the show. You're a founder of a social enterprise that is tackling a really important space, which is really about protecting so many people. And I'm excited to have you on the show because we've been good friends for a while since UC Berkeley and Bain days. And I think you have a lot to share along the way. Thanks, Jeremy. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Can't believe it's been more than 10 years since we got to know each other at Berkeley. I know, it's super crazy. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I got to ask you, uh, who are you professionally these days? Yeah, so now I'm the founder and CEO of Lightning Social Ventures. We're a tech for good startup that helps people who are in financial hardship by providing a platform for charities and public sector organizations that want to get support to people who need it most. We started Lightning Social Ventures because there are a huge number of people in the UK, one in five or 12 million people who are struggling financially now. And many of them find it really difficult to get the support they need. They have to go through lots of paperwork and then wait weeks or months to get support. And you know, you can imagine when you're on the edge of losing your home or putting food on the table, it's really hard to wait for so long. So we want to do something, use tech to make the process faster, more secure, more effective to get support out to people who need it most. That's a bit about what we're doing now, but happy to go more into detail later on if that's that's useful. Yeah, and could you give us a few bullet points of what you did before as well? I went to college in Berkeley, originally from Singapore, and after that, did a few years in consulting. So. I was at Bain and it was a really good learning experience. But after starting at Bain, I felt like we spent a lot of time helping big companies get richer and I was keen to do something more impactful. So I did an MBA at Warden, sort of thinking through how to pivot into the impact space, dabbled in a couple of internships like a social enterprise in Tanzania and the Rockefeller Foundation in New York, and then left and, um, well, graduated from Warden and spent a few years working with Bima, which is an insure tech company that supports people in emerging markets to get access to insurance. So Bima spent a lot of time in emerging markets from places like Malaysia, Cambodia, Bangladesh, helping people to get who are typically unbanked on the bank to get access to the financial protection they need. And after that, I then moved to the UK, where I've been for the last two years or so. I joined Rails Bank, which is a fintech company that's growing really quickly as they are head of product. It was a great experience. Did that for about a year. But when the pandemic struck, then I really wanted to, I saw how many people were impacted, who had lost their jobs. And I was keen to use some of that tech that I'd learned about to help them. So that sort of then led me to Lightning Social Ventures. I guess it's been really a bit of a winding journey. So sort of I've been in four different regions geographically, taken about 10 different roles over the last 10 years before ending up here. (laughs) 
<laughs> and what's really interesting is that now you've decided to be a founder. So why be a founder now in the middle of a pandemic? Yeah, it's a strange time to, to start a business. I think mainly because the need became so clear. So when I was at Rails Bank and the pandemic first struck, there were people in my neighborhood that were that had lost their jobs, that were really struggling to make ends meet. And it's quite painful to see that around you. But it was I didn't sort of plan to go in and start a company off the bat. Initially, we started a project internally within Rails Bank to use our payments infrastructure to get money out to the people who need it. So I started that as a project that took off quite quickly. Within the space of months, we helped to distribute a few hundred thousand pounds to people who needed it. So initially, the plan was then to spin that out into a separate company. It didn't really work out for various reasons, but I think having seen the scale of need amongst individuals in hardship and also from organizations that are trying their best to support them, it made sense to continue to start a business that would support that. So yeah, after a bit of thinking and not being sure of what to do, I fell into being a founder. <laughs> Why do you care? I mean, you've always cared about impact for a long, long time. Did you start at UC Berkeley all the way back then or when did it start for you? Yeah, I think it started quite a while back. Probably the first why, if I go back in time, I remember that back in high school, so when we're doing our A-levels in, in JC, we did a project to raise funds for a charity under the YMCA Youth for Causes program. So at that time, we sort of went out, did a project and raised about $18,000 for this charity that was helping youths that were low income and at risk of committing offenses and getting into prison. And I remember that at that time, when we raised the funding, it contributed to over half of the charity's income for the for the year. I was quite blown away because at the time, we really had no idea what we were doing, but it turned out to actually have a pretty significant impact on the organization and the people that they were helping. So that's experience kind of stuck with me as an opportunity to to make a difference. As things went on, there were various moments where I was involved in the impact space. So I spent about two months working with microfinance organization in Ghana and got to see firsthand sort of the level of poverty, but also the resilience amongst people that really str struggle to have access to finance and to essential goods and services that they need. So these experiences stuck, but I guess I didn't think about focusing on that career-wise until I had spent a few years at Bain and really stepped back and thought about what I wanted to do longer term in life. And so if that was something you cared about, then why do you join Bain? Join Bain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's perfect. Even before, actually, before joining Bain, I was meant to join the Singapore government. So I did a couple of internships there. And then the reason why I went to Bain was I felt that there was too much paperwork and things were moving a bit too slowly in government. And Bain, being consulting was fast paced, was a good learning opportunity. And it felt like the right step first thing career-wise. I think it was, it was great from a learning perspective to be surrounded by lots of really bright people, to receive some formal training that you don't have like, the opportunity to do formal train to access formal training when you're working in a startup. So I think it was still a really good couple of years that maybe laid the foundations for how to think about some things and how to be more effective later on in, in life. 
You know, you jog my memory because I do remember you agonizing about whether to drop the Singapore government scholarship, actually. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was some time back. The government was not happy. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I think a lot of people do decide to join the Singapore government because they also do want to help society, right? Yeah. Which is, I think, a big part about why. But the how is, you know, like you said, it's not the right fit because it's too slow in that sense. And so it's not the right fit. And then you join Bain, which is interesting because I would join Bain a year later because I think you graduated a year earlier than me because you decided to graduate faster. <laughs> Get out there in three years. Get out there in three years. I only got out in three and a half years. I was already fast and he was like, there you are, just like blitzing ahead of me. I was just like, why? <laughs> I think it was probably good. I mean, now I look back, I'm like, why, why don't stay longer and enjoy the college experience? <laughs> I mean, I, I can't really, can't, you know, like, can't cast the first stone. I mean, I just did half year more than you. <laughs> so do you feel like Bain was worth it? I mean, reflecting on my side, I mean, before, I thought it was pretty fun. Learned a lot, obviously. Great training, great culture. Obviously, we got to hang out on a couple of projects. And obviously, pretty intense. And obviously, at the start, you mentioned it was an interesting dynamic. We were helping, I think you said, rich companies get richer as well. So, <laughs> Yeah, I should probably stop being so blunt. I mean, these are obviously just generalizations. Not everything in government is slow. Is slow. Um, the Singapore government moves a lot faster than um, many other corporations in the world as well. And yeah, in, in consulting, it's not always helping big companies get richer. So actually, the, I remember a really fun project where we were helping SMEs in Singapore. So we got to go around to the small factories, the small bakeries, and figure out how to support them with their operations. Was it worth it to join consulting at the beginning? And I think, I, I think it absolutely was. As you say, there's quite a lot of training and learning opportunities. So you get to think about things analytically, learn to do like basic PowerPoint and, and Excel. <laughs> so probably now a little bit more of a, a formatting freak than, <laughs> than other people. And you get to learn from really smart people around you, above you, as well as get exposed to a range of industries and, and sectors and challenges that can exist. So I think that was still a great start. It just It's just something I knew wasn't for me for life. So I think after a couple of years, you learn a lot and then you can either get on track to be a partner or, or you can go off and do something else. Yeah, so there's I think actually a lot of consultants who listen to this podcast who are wondering about whether they should transition to tech actually. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that was your key audience. <laughs> That's actually a great. big, I want to say fan mail, but more like, List questions and answers. Yeah, yeah. And so they're always kind of like, is this the life or should I? What is tech? How did you make the decision to say, like, maybe consulting isn't the future for me, right? Because I don't think when you and I were in, in consulting at the time, we were like, okay, tech is the answer or tech is the future for us. Mm -hmm. We didn't go into consulting thinking like that. So, how were you thinking about it? For you, I think, was it like, let's do the MBA and figure it out? Or? Yeah, kind of, <laughs> pretty much. In order to decide to do the MBA, I knew that consulting probably wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So I wanted to explore and figure things out. And I had this vague inkling that I wanted to go into something that was more socially impactful. But I didn't know what aspect that was, whether that was working with a not-for-profit or working still with a company that's for purpose, whether that's in the tech space or something else. So doing the MBA, I think, gave me the opportunity to try a couple of different internships, which really fun, take on a couple of different 
projects in the impact space and just figure out a little bit more what I want to do. So I think the big takeaway for me was that I really enjoyed working with the Rockefeller Foundation, but it was something that was, again, bigger, longer term, a little bit more slow, slow moving because it takes multiple years to stitch together the sort of program ambitions they wanted to achieve. Whereas my experience with a startup in Tanzania was really exciting because we were growing, we were acquiring like maybe 50 different clients every week. And I could see the difference that solar as a service was making, making it possible to light up people's homes. So then I knew post-MBA that I wanted to work in a startup that's dynamic, fast-growing, but still had a really strong social mission. So I was quite excited to find Bima, which I think then led me more into the fintech space. While at Bain, I had done a couple of fintech-related projects, but I hadn't really decided to focus on that. And at Bima, I saw the power of financial services like insurance, not just to support transactions, but to help give people a financial cushion that they might need when times become difficult. And the fact that this is possible even for people that don't have bank accounts, that don't already have access to other financial services. So I think being at BIMA and spending a lot of time on the ground with people that needed access to different sorts of support really helped me to see the potential of fintech. Interesting. I mean, I think one thing that struck me about what you just said was a bit of a Sudoku, at least. You kind of like knocking off the things you don't like, right? You know, like, you know, you're like, I don't like government, Singapore government, so I definitely won't like other slower governments. I don't like large companies, so I definitely won't like very large companies. And then you kind of like work your way backwards. I won't like these large nonprofits, but I do like, and then you kind of like work your way backwards to be like, I like small, but not too small and somewhere in between. That's really interesting. I didn't think about it that way, but I think you're right. Some of decision-making is like a process of elimination and test. I guess it's a bit like testing hypothesis in business. You can come up with a list of things that you think you might potentially enjoy doing, and then you can either prove that you like it and continue with it, or you can prove that you don't like it and choose not to do it. Yeah, it's funny because I think for both you and I, I think a big one that we, we had a knockout was like, Bain as prestige management consulting, which is a big one because everybody's like, wow, you're at Bain, which is a great place to be at, which is, is a great place to be at, right? Yeah. It's a great place to be at for some people. It's not a great place to be at for lots of people. So there's a tricky part to sadly discover, I think. Yeah, and I think that's also something to be said about what's right for you at a different phase in life. So consulting for me was a great first stage in the in the career, but not necessarily later on. So I think as you go on, your learning needs evolve and what you want to achieve also evolves over time. I think it's quite normal to end up transitioning from one place to another. Yeah, I think the genius, of course, of Bain as well is that they've also weaponized that as well, which is that they know that people are just going to leave at some point because of the type of people they're recruiting. And they tell that upfront, it's like, hey, you can come here and use that to discover what you like and we'll help you get there. And when you're there, think of us as the (laughs) alumni network and don't forget to buy Bain when you need a management consultant (laughs) to fix your problems. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm really grateful to have stayed in touch with some people from Bain as well when I'm back visiting um, Southeast Asia. I still think about hiring <laughs> Bainese if, if there's a chance. So, so that's sort of 
work. Yeah. And I think another good thing about Bain was also the opportunity to do externships. So they will say, you can go off and spend six months somewhere and try it out. That's what I did. Spent a few months at Starwood Hotels. And that's another good, I guess, lower risk option for consultants who are keen to explore something else, but they aren't necessarily sure if they want to make a full transition out. Yeah, I think they did a good job. And I think the externships is a genius way to help people like knock out their formal, the fear of missing out yeah. and say like, oh, you think hospitality is fun? Try working at you know, Star Woods and turns out you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and you, aren't you happy to come back? You know, I'm just kidding, right? Well, not really, right? <laughs> well, you know, the, the glamour of the hospitality industry is a bit different from the mechanics of it. So some people like it again and some people don't. So that's the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I remember working at, well, visiting St. Regis as part of my work. And then, you know, you see the, the front of house and how everything is shiny and glamorous and amazing. And then you look at the back of house and it's quite different. I remember like, um, it's so silly. Uh, it's like undergrad. Have you watched a movie Up in the Air? Josh Clooney. I haven't actually, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I have. Oh, you yeah. have to watch it. Okay. For all the listeners out there, you have to listen to Up in the Air. It's a, it's a, it's a movie and it's about the story of a consultant who goes around and he's got a travel lifestyle. And basically, he's a new joiner consultant gets tagged onto this veteran consultant and she's like super blown away by his glamorous lifestyle and it's like super amazing and he's got all the points and you know the hotels etc etc et you know yeah do, do mess that a bit <laughs> you do mess that a bit right yeah yeah, yeah. and then and then uh, turns out also he's got like no friends and no roots and everything so it's a nice uh, dual parallel life you know, I think of um, I watched it with two eyes I think as undergrad I was like wow this is like Amazing. And then now I'm older watching it and I was like, yeah, you know, I see it with the old veteran eyes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It resonates. Yeah, yeah. I think any career choice probably will have its pros and cons. There isn't really a perfect job out there that's that's going to have yeah. everything. Um yeah. <laughs> and there you are, of course, you transitioned to do your MBA. And I think so many folks at MBA are kind of like searching for their what to do with their one wild and precious life, whatever that is, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, they're all busy searching, exploring, doing internships because they're like, oh my God, and they're all drinking wine and being very sad. And it's like, am I doomed to be a consultant or a banker or private equity? <laughs> <laughs> so there you were obviously thinking and exploring this aspect of the intersection of technology, fintech, and obviously some entrepreneurial side of it. How were you thinking about it? I think the framework that helped me think about it is Ikigai. So I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like that intersection of what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what can make you money. And that sort of helped me to, I guess, think about the various options that were on the table and just reflect on that and understand a little bit more about myself and what kind of career choices could help with that. It was a combination of that and, as I mentioned, sort of hypothesis testing or like learning by doing and trying out a range of activities that helped me to get signals to understand if they were going to be the right fit for me moving forward. And the good thing about the MBA experience is it just gives you time and space to do that. So if you're in a full-time job like consulting, it's really hard to take time out to step back and think about it. You can do so on, on weekends, but then you might be quite tired already, whereas the MBA is there almost like for that purpose of exploring and seeing what kind of jobs and careers you want to take on. 
outside of school. So I think just having the opportunity both to try things out, but also to speak to a wide range of people, like over coffee chats and things like that, helped me to better understand what other people had gone through and what options were available. I'm going to put you on a spot here because you just jogged my memory (laughs) about the debate we got in undergrad, which was the expense. So the tough part of the Singapore government was that it gave you a scholarship for university. Yeah. And so the tough part about reneging on it was that you would have to break the bond and then you had to pay for a full freight for you to go explore a private career. And in parallel for the MBA, you know, it costs money as well, right? To do it as well, to explore yourself. And so I think a lot of people are going to say like, well, for the MBA itself, for example, you know, it costs money to explore, to put this, I mean, obviously credential, etc. So how should people think about the expense or the ROI or how should they think about this quantum from your perspective? I think it's a tricky one because it's such a personal decision depending on where you're coming from, what kind of a difference an MBA can make to one's career. I think firstly, I must say I've realized on reflection how incredibly privileged I've been to be able to go to Berkeley to make decisions like not taking the scholarship and to do the MBA because especially working in our space right now, I I see so many people that don't have such opportunities where the question is not, do you go for an MBA, but do you go to school at all? Or do you, can you buy a washing machine or, or can you afford food for the next couple of weeks. So to be in a position is incredibly lucky. I think then if you have that choice of of saying, I can afford an MBA, should I actually spend the money on it? It really depends on on what you want out of it. I, I think I would encourage people to think about, is this going to be the best route or are there different ways I can explore and achieve the same thing? And I don't think there's a right answer either way. So for some people, getting MBA, getting the brand name could be what makes the difference to being able to pivot into a career that has been their dream for years. And for some people, it, it doesn't. I think the tricky part, of course, is that the dream, like whatever the dream is, right? Like going into the MBA and you still don't know what your dream is. Yeah. <laughs> going to the MBA to find out what your dream is yeah. is a tricky one. Uh, I had good advice from someone. Um, I can't remember who it was. It, it might have been one of our Bain colleagues who was saying that you should go into MBA with kind of a 50% idea of what you want to do because you have no idea at all. You get completely lost. It's like a buffet of options that are out there. You'll just be spinning your plates. And if you go exact in knowing exactly what you want to do, then you might as well have found a way to do that first. So I think that actually makes a lot of sense going with some idea, but some questions they need to test out or that you don't have answers to. Oh, wow. That's actually really good advice, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the way I actually share about it is like, I tell people, like, I said, the MBA is not a church. So what I mean by that is MBA is like an elevator. It's like, it's going to help you get you to where you want to go. If you want to go to finance, it'll help you get there. If you want to move to America, it'll help you get there. Yeah. You want to move to China, it'll help you get there. If you want to meet the US president, you can probably help you get there. But the truth is, it won't tell you who you want to be because the only way you're going to find out is, I don't know, you have to take a long walk, right? You know, you have to sit by yourself and meditate or do the self-work or the answer is yourself, right? You know, you, just, Absolutely. you know, you can't go for a coffee networking session and be like, oh, now I know who I want to be. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's part. true both for MBAs and actually even things like accelerator programs or incubators. 
a lot of the onus is on yourself to go in there and know what you want out of it because there are so many things that you could spend the time on. So yeah, like you say, it's about figuring out your own pathway rather than expecting someone to shine the light for you. Yeah, I mean, that's the awkward, awkward reality. And I think what's interesting is that there you are and then you explore these different internships and you kind of say like, okay, Rockefeller isn't, it's exciting, but it's not exactly the right fit again because it's a bit too slow. And then you're in Africa and it's the right speed, but it's not the right, I guess, geography and the right space, right? Yeah. And then you find this almost there thing, right? Which is this fintech startup. So so tell us more about what was it like. <laughs> almost there. Almost there, right? So tell us more about that, yeah. Yeah, I think Beamer was a great learning experience. I joined as their partnerships manager in Asia. So what I was responsible for was finding new ways to partner up with both telcos, but actually new types of partners that can get people access to insurance. Beamer had a unique model where basically people that don't necessarily have a bank account could pay for insurance using their mobile phones through their prepaid or postpaid plans. And the way that that happened was by partnering up with, with telcos. But we were also looking at other innovative partnerships like, say, mobile money providers and whether people could get insurance through that as well. At Beamer, um, I sort of did three different roles. So first, I started in partnerships and then went on to lead a global customer experience and project where I had the chance to spend six months in London, which was a lot of fun. And then an opportunity opened up to launch the Malaysia operations for Beamer, which I then saw as really exciting. And I took that because it was a chance to build up a team and business from scratch. So I think that was a pivotal moment for me because rather than sort of just working within big organizations or organizations of different sizes, I had the chance to almost start something from scratch. It's obviously slightly different. You have a bit of, you still have support from, from the center, which I was grateful for. But a lot of the work was quite similar to what you have to do as a founder. You, you don't need to do the fundraising, which is good, but you have to do everything else, hiring, operations, products, getting something to market and testing whether it works. So at BMO, it's a great opportunity to, yeah, just do that. There were a lot of challenges, but we were able to launch the product in six weeks, which was one of the fastest times that amongst the various markets within BMO. It's like really high pressure. And then we got, we sort of grew week on week about 10 times over the course of 10 weeks. One interesting thing is that lots of folks in Southeast Asia are, you know, launching new markets for, you know, have these global companies, which is what you just described. Is there any advice that you have for people who are kind of like launching these new markets or coordinating these global teams? Good question. I think a lot of the advice would be similar to any advice you would give a founder trying to build up a business from scratch, sort of understand the market, understand the problem, and think about how you can very quickly build and iterate to be able to test that out. With something like Beamer or other global companies, I think there is an added nuance of having to coordinate or and get support from the bigger organization and infrastructure and understanding how things fit. So I think one of the frustrations, but also learning points for me at BMO was going out there and sort of say, wanting to sign a contract and then being held, or at the time feeling it, I was being held back because the global legal team would say, no, there are some standard terms that we need to adhere to. So I think you need to be aware that there are certain constraints within the 
broader organization to be aware of and to think about how to navigate that with stakeholders within the organization rather than just going out there and doing your own thing because it may not necessarily work for the broader company. But at the same time, you also then can think about how do you draw on support from them? So if you need expertise, you need help, then you can keep in mind that you're not the only person working on this. Any tips on how to get buy-in internally as the you know, country manager or the country leader or market launcher? It's a tricky one. Get to know a bit more about the people working with uh, in various parts of the organization. I, I think it depends on how things are structured, whether there's a global or regional structure. So at BIMA, for example, we had key decisions that needed to go globally, but also some things that needed to go regionally. And I think being able to build up the relationship with people is, is always key and understanding where they are coming from. So you don't sort of just say, this doesn't work and say, no, you, you try to understand why is there an objection to something or why is there a reason for doing something like this and understand and then have that conversation to say, what can be done about this? So I think both building a relationship with people globally and understanding where they are coming from and then also bring your own insights on the market. So data on why the market might be different, for example, examples of things that have worked well can then help to influence certain decisions. Awesome. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. There's a yeah. lot of code there. I feel like there's a lot of experience and hard won experience there. <laughs> <Metal>. <laughs> <laughs> Many battles there. <laughs> so starting to uh, wrap things up here, could you share with us a time that you have been brave? Yeah, um, I guess probably I would say starting Lightning Social Ventures because it came at a time that was personally quite difficult for me. It was right when things didn't necessarily work out with spinning something out at Rails Bank. And I was very unsure about what would be the right path moving forward. And it was also a time where I was looking at starting Lightning Social Ventures with no product, no team, and no money. So it didn't feel like a brave decision at the time, but I think there were some really great people that helped me along the way and helped me to realize that it, it is a step worth taking. <laughs> Amazing. When you think about having become a founder, what has most surprised you about becoming a founder personally? That's an interesting one. I think that the sheer roller coaster and ups and downs that are involved, it's easy to sort of go into it thinking that you, you sort of hear that it's up and down, but you don't feel it until you go into the journey and experience it for yourself. And I think for a lot of high achieving people, they kind of expect a linear pathway. Like in consulting, you spend a couple of years and there's promotion every time. In the startup world, you want to, there's some, some sort of pressure to be growing month on month, but things don't always happen. You can have a beautiful financial model, but you're, you've got one of the assumptions wrong. You need to iterate, you need to pivot and or, or you lose a team member and everything goes upside down. So I think just feeling that and finding neat ways to deal with the highs and lows are, are I think, a big learning or surprise for me as a founder. Amazing. Rani, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I love to paraphrase three big themes, as any consultant would do, that I got from this discussion. The first, of course, is thank you so much for sharing your Sudoku career of Ikigai decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so I think about how you, I think, uh, 
slowly meet your decisions about how you experimented from the Singapore government to university decisions to management consulting to experimenting with uh, various like nonprofits, corporations, and startups uh, to land where you are today. So this is amazing to hear that story. And I think some really good tips around how to be thoughtful about each and every step. And I think that's really good advice. The second, of course, is thank you so much for very thoughtful thinking advice about where you are, right? You know, how to be thinking about being part of the MBA, being part of the consulting career, what the next step looks like, how to make the next step, how to think through that process very carefully in a very intentional way. And lastly, thank you so much for sharing, I think, really your heart of service, really about why you care about folks and why you keep returning to that creed of service over and over again since you were young and keep returning that multiple times in your professional career and where you are today with Lightning and why you're pushing forward with this approach. In the past where you were a volunteer to being someone as a consultant and helping out to being an intern again, <laughs> but as an MBA intern to now being a founder and helping out this way. So really amazing to see that journey happen. So thank you so much, Renny, for being here and sharing your journey and being an inspiration. Oh, thank you so much. It was a really fun conversation and I'd be very happy to connect with anyone that wants to chat about decisions or collaborate on social impact projects. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave. <laughs>